give that shit up, you're going to concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Welcome to this week's edition of a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Bossy and Paul. This is the coaching podcast with a difference. We watch a movie, it might help if you watch it too, we get a special guest on, and we discuss the coaching from the movie and how it relates to our own experiences. So whether you're in the car, out for a run or a walk, or just using us to cancel out the noise from the kids in the background, we hope you enjoy. Okay, so welcome everybody, and this week I'm delighted to say we are joined by Paul and Massey, as always. Welcome lads. Harry Cullum, how you getting on? How you, Paul? And we've got Mr. David Sharkey joining us this week. So welcome, David. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, delighted to be here. Looking forward to uh, to chatting about the uh, piece that I picked out. Yeah, and like before we get onto that, you might just give a quick background on yourself, as I suppose from a coaching perspective and what you're doing, and I suppose uh, why why you're such a high profile candidate that we're talking to you. High profile, God Almighty, uh, stakes are fairly high. Um, <laughs> listen, yeah, so I'm a I'm a, a coach who's living over here in in London, in the UK. I'm a teacher, an English teacher is my my real job, I suppose. But my passion, obviously, is coaching uh, and coaching rugby specifically. So I spent most of my time coaching uh, in schools again that I've worked in uh, over here and in Australia and back in Ireland. Um, and more recently, then I've moved into coaching uh, men's side uh, over here. So the Honourable Artillery Company, which is uh, which is a a branch of the uh, basically the, the the territorial army, like a kind of um, uh, the reserves, I suppose, uh, army for uh, uh, over this way. So I'm involved in coaching them. I've been involved in coaching uh, in sub academy levels with WASPs in the past, uh, and I've also then set up uh, more recently a company uh, called Team Architecture. Perfect. And to tell us, you've uh, you've chosen a TV, what is it, documentary, film. It kind of dra- it's a, I suppose it's a drama uh, dramatization of uh, Ernest Shackleton. Uh, so it's a 2002, I think. Uh, a fresh enough looking Kenneth Branagh uh, starring as Ernest Shackleton. Uh, so I picked that out. Um, yes, for for us to kind of dive into today and its application in coaching. And what was your reason for picking that? So there's a few reasons, I suppose. The story of, of Shackleton is one that has sort of amazed me for an awful long time. And it's actually one I use specifically in my own coaching. Uh, so part of the stuff I, I suppose I, I do with team architecture is w- between coaching and mentoring is also the, the writing and designing of themes. So the use of a story or a theme and Shackleton is actually one of those stories. So it was one that really gripped the imagination of the, the group that I was working with, the HAC, uh, back in the season that was hit uh, or curtailed by by COVID, um, and so I just think there's I just think there's a huge amount of things in there that tell us an awful lot about how to lead and also maybe how not to lead uh, the dynamics of groups, the micropolitics that we that we encounter, irrespective of whether we're coaching, you know, under eights or at a very very high profession level, uh, just all those kind of micropolitics and how we manage people and how we lead and how we listen and how we make decisions. I just think there's a huge amount in that story uh, that that can really resonate with coaches. Brilliant. And like, I know you mentioned teaming there, but for, for the layman who, who wouldn't have heard of teaming in, in coaching, like, could you just expand on that a little bit for us? Sure. So for me, uh, 
theming or again can also I suppose be used as storytelling is where you manage to connect an idea or a theme to uh, a certain purpose in your coaching so again I actually think lots of coaches are using themes but maybe on a smaller level so it might be the language you might use you know even terms such as let's say a smothered defense or uh, how you might maybe execute a technical skill so for example, in rocking, they might talk about examples of in rugby, they might talk about break the glass where there's a pane of glass uh, between the opponent's kind of hands and you're trying to put your, your, your hand through that. So the use of metaphors is quite common again in sports, again, that we use. Theming, I suppose, take that to another level where maybe you start to think about your your language that you might use and the sequence and the order in which you might maybe tell those, uh, use that, that those metaphors of that language. So theming ultimately could be, and we can often see this again in, in, in team sports with, uh, for example, a type of defense. So uh, a, a sub kind of theme that I've used previously in, in my defense was this idea of uh, dogs of war. So from the, the the line from Julius Caesar, again, you can tell I'm an English teacher, uh, a line from Julius Caesar, uh, cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. So within that, we wanted to do three things. We wanted to, uh, we wanted a hunger uh to make tackles to get off the line to get back into the line we wanted hunger to get the ball back we wanted to um hunt down the ball or hunt down the ball carrier for example and then we wanted to hound them when we got up there so we would put them under pressure we would uh you know be an absolute menace so hunger hunt and hound became our sort of sub team uh, in that level so that's an example of a sub team a larger team which is what we ended up doing with shackleton reflected where we were in a bit of a bind where we were trying to survive relegation and so we looked for a story of survival and very very quickly when I suggested Shackleton to the other guy Reese Davies who I coach with he loved it and thought this is something that's really going to animate bring to life some of the things we're trying to do um, so it's been, it's been popularized in many cases uh, certainly in New Zealand uh, in rugby over there but I, I certainly think it's happening in, in other sports uh, the last dance for example might be an example of a theme maybe on a, small, a thin enough level in some cases uh, with the Chicago Bulls. I know previously uh, Boston Celtics have used aspects of themes. Uh, the more I started looking at themes over the last couple of years, the more I realized lots of people are doing it. They're maybe just not calling it that. So um, it, it, it's a kind of interesting area, I suppose, that's happening at the moment. And as I said, because I've written up a lot of the things I've written on themes, Lots of people have been in touch uh, to ask about it and to find out more about it. But I'm certainly exploring a, a huge amount of it myself. Uh, I maybe I'm just a little bit ahead of people in some cases, but uh, it, it's an enjoyable area and it's an aspect of coaching, which I really, really enjoy. David, when you're in David there, say you're on about the Dogs of War team there and you mentioned it. So is one of the players calling that at a specific time in the match or when they say this is the time now we have to get hunt the ball back? Or is it a case where you'll do it once in the game or twice or what ways it work there? So, yeah, that, that's a really, really good example. I think it could be. So you could, for example, uh, theme a certain passage of play. So you might maybe have, like in, in football, it might be set pieces or um, in, in, in football or, or, or hurling, you know, it might be maybe certain aspects of either 45 or 65 or, or goal kicks or something like that, like an aspect that you might do something. But for us, it was, our, it was just our calls for our defence in our three kind of principles of our defense that we want to do in general defensive play so whenever we were without the ball these were sort of the things we wanted to say now one thing about teaming is that it, it can take a while to sort of embed and i think language is a really really important aspect of what we do and choosing carefully 
the terminology that you use. And it's so easy to slip into jargon. It's so easy to slip into terminology. Maybe we, we, we assume everyone understands and uses, but actually when we break down, break it down or ask the question, hang on, what does this mean? Or why do we call it this? No one really knows. So, or there's misunderstanding. People have, like think they know, but actually it's, there's five different ways for, and we're using the same word for this. So with that in mind, uh, some of those, that terminology took a long time to kind of drip feed through. And probably the one that m meant the most that we still actually use is hound. So we talk about hounding on feet, which is a tag tackle, for example, or we talk about hounding on the floor, which is like a, a jackal where you're trying to steal, uh, steal the ball. Um, so you'll hear, hear players, for example, try to do a double tackle who are saying, uh, you know, hound on feet. So you're looking to actually try and just hound, put them under pressure uh, and to do that. So that's where the language becomes, uh, I suppose, effective for them, where it becomes useful, because if we're using terminology in coaching that they're not using uh, or we're using language and they're using something else, then we probably need to align that. We either get on their page or they get on ours or we meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, but that was a good example of, I suppose, where that might be might be used. I guess like the famous uh, call in the, the Lions back in 1974, I think the 99 call, when, <laughs> when that was rang out. I think it was just uh, an all-in fight, I believe. Is that? Yes, yeah, it's a back, back, back up base of your mates. That was the, the, the idea, sort of a pre-call in that regard, yeah, yeah. Very good. And how, Dave, like how do you get, let's say when you started about Shackleton now with the group that you're with, um, like what's their first thing that they that you're talking to them about like how do you get them on side um i suppose without explaining fully the process like what, mm. what's like what, what's your first drip feed into these into the psyche of the players like yeah so i wrote up a framework uh after so shackleton was my was was actually uh, not my first theme i I'd, I'd used the theme on project apollo which was looking at the moon landings uh leading up to uh apollo 11 i did it with a schoolboy group that i was coaching at the time and, and I wrote that up and then I wrote up Shackleton. And then afterwards I sort of thought, well, I've written up how, how I do theming uh, to kind of unearth other people who are doing theming and that worked. But then the, the issue then came was that lots of coaches were coming to me saying like, oh, we really want to do Shackleton or we want to do Apollo. And I was like, well, I wouldn't have done Shackleton with the schoolboy group who I did Apollo with. And I wouldn't have done Apollo with the, like they were for very specific causes. So the, the thing I then went away and did was I wrote up a framework, which was about um, eight different points of different things that you, you need to consider uh, when looking at theming from my point of view. It was basically the, it was the resource I wanted when I started looking at theming. So I think coaches have really latched onto that. And the, the first and last points of that, the first one is find a story you belong to. So think carefully about what the story is and why you think it's going to connect and sound that out. And then the last point of that is the launch. How are you going to pitch this? Uh, how are you going to do that? And I write that up as someone who didn't always get that right. In a schoolboy environment, I pitched up and because I was their teacher and I was referred to as Sir or Mr. Sharkey, they kind of had to listen to me. Like I had a very... Uh, uh, probably the best way to describe it is a conscripted audience like they uh, there were repercussions if they you know thought this was nonsense or told me to my face that this was nonsense that was less I was, I was in a safe enough environment for that to work through with the men's club and with Shackleton that was different um, and I still kind of <laughs> myself and Reese uh, laugh at how we did it we we did what we call now a Trojan horse approach well, we just started talking about Shackleton quite a lot. <laughs> so all of our sort of team talks and all of our references and training were just like, oh, this is kind of like Ernest Shackleton. And when they were, and then it was after about three or four weeks, the lads are like, 
okay, you're you're using there's something going on here. We didn't fully kind of jump out with all of that until maybe about as I said about four or five weeks into it, where they saw that hang on, this is beginning to build momentum. But it can we and my advice would be is that actually try and get people on side before you have to launch it. Sound it out with with, with some of your players. So we're actually currently doing with the HAC, we're doing a, an Art and Senate theme. Um, and the easiest way for us to sound out who might be interested in Ayrton Senna or that might resonate with was last year we asked the group, hey guys, who's into Drive to Survive? And the guys who shot up their hand, who were, you know, F1 fans, we figured, okay, these might be some of our cultural architects who'd be yeah, useful to, to bounce ideas off or to ask again what they think. We didn't do that with Shackleton. We kind of didn't have time. And also we were just really unsure as to how it was going to go. And thankfully, I think it was something that they bought into. We could have launched it better. Uh, we were under the time frame of we only had about six or seven games to try and save our season. So uh, it, it certainly did take a while. But thankfully, there was a few lightning bolt moments along the way that really gave us that momentum. Uh, ideally, you want those moments early. Uh, where lads really get excited about what they're doing. And, and, and what's the cool thing, I suppose, about theming is that it makes what you're doing unique. If, you know, if you lads were to walk into a, any GA club in Ireland, in the country, and then go to the, the club next door or down the road, you might see very, very similar training uh, sessions. You might hear a very, very similar language. I think the cool thing about theming is that you get to create something that's very unique. Like, and, you know, uh, to the to the wide audience of uh, of your podcast, if someone in the world is doing an Art and Senna theme, uh, I'd love to meet them. I'd love to chat to them. But I'm guessing there's, you know, th there's no one out there doing it. So that makes what we do kind of unique and pretty cool. And Excellent. did you get the guys to watch the film? To watch which, sorry? Did you get them to watch Shackleton, the series? Uh, no, so we, we did actually, it was, it was kind of later when when everything sort of died down after COVID interrupted the season, actually there was actually a lot of stuff about Shackleton coming out around the time of the pandemic about how you survive in a, in a, you know, hostile environment or in isolation. And, and um, the really cool thing was that lots of lads were kind of reaching out saying they were at work and someone had mentioned something about Shackleton or they were at a quiz and they heard this thing and they thought of us, they thought of our group. I think that's the really kind of cool thing. If you choose a story that's cool enough and you, you dig deep enough into it, there can be those moments that resonate with them long after, like long after the season's over. So like in 20 years time, when someone talks about Ernest Shackleton, I hope there's lads kind of going like, oh, I remember drinking a bottle of Shackleton whiskey in the changing room after we won a game. Um, so we didn't actually get them to watch it at the, uh, uh, during the actual theme, but lots of them actually got interested in it afterwards. Uh, and we're keen to, yeah, to find out a little bit more about it. Uh, they probably knew a bit too much already, and they were questioning yeah. stuff. Going, hang on, that's not what happened. Uh, but which is uh, which is good. Yeah. But yeah, no, again, getting them on board with that, and that's something with Senna. Like the thing with the Shackleton story was that they didn't all know. Like, you know, Shackleton, you know, being uh, of course uh, born born in Ireland is a, is probably a, a far more famous figure than some of the lads maybe knew about here. So no one really knew anything about Shackleton. So they didn't really know how it was going to turn out. So there's that sense of anticipation of telling a story that they don't know the end to necessarily. Um, but with Senna, we're actually in a situation where they all know about Senna and they, they probably all have seen the uh, seen the movie uh, or the documentary by uh, Asif Kabata uh, about 10 years ago. So how do you tell a story where everyone knows the ending to it or, or what bits do you highlight? Uh, you have the luxury, I suppose, of not necessarily going chronologically because they know the ending. So, uh, yeah, there's those, I suppose, opportunities there if, if you wish. And 
just like as regards coming up with team you know coming up with with things um like is it stuff you're interested yourself that you would like if let's say if i came to you now and said look david i want to work with team architecture this is my team or the group no this is my group that i'm working with are you kind of do you have a, a back pool of of things on yeah we could use this we could use that we could use that um or is it really kind of wait and see what the group are like and then try to fit them into something I mean, I'm very, very lucky in the fact that I'm, I'm an Irish English teacher. So I, I both, you know, culturally, we, we come from a, you know, a rich, a rich vein of storytelling and uh, I suppose interest in literature and stories, but also for my job, I analyze stories where I have to dice them lots of different ways. Now, does that mean I'm, you know, could I launch a, uh, could I do a Shakespeare theme with a certain group? I might have to pick <laughs> particularly who, who I might do it with. Um, but yeah, I'll have certain ideas, I suppose, as around to stories. But the key thing is that actually, and, and this is something again, now that I suppose people contact me to uh, to work with them to, in some cases, not always, to um, to write themes for them, um, imposing a theme from an outside perspective could actually be really pointless, like really fruitless. Because I don't think, and this is what I always advise coaches, that like, don't just take Apollo, Shackleton, Senna and just, you know, copy and paste it. Like, you really ask yourself why these things resonate. Um, and the personality, the people who are going to be driving that are going to be really, really important. So uh, I do have, I do have a, a, a bank of stories I think I could uh, manipulate or uh, change or, you know, show people, a, uh, I suppose, a different way. One thing I always like to do is that... Um, so, for example, with the Senna theme is that they know the story of Senna. I need to find stuff they don't know. And I really want it to kind of resonate. So um, things that are going to maybe bring them on an emotional journey or, or make us look at things in a different perspective. So, for example, a, a famous uh, theme that's been used uh, by the Crusaders in, in, in Canterbury uh, was the Muhammad Ali theme which was the rumble in the jungle uh, against George Foreman. And the Lions um, uh, this summer also used that. Now, when I look at that theme, I go, that is a cool theme if you want to look at tiring out an opponent or staying in the fight. It can convey those things. But actually, if you think about Muhammad Ali as a character, there's so much more depth you could go into. Like, you could explore some really, really interesting things about standing up for what you believe in or aspects about religion or you know any of those things are trash talking like there's so many conversations you can have as a coach uh that go way beyond just the physical tiring out an opponent uh if you wish so to try and answer your question as quickly as possible i suppose i have some uh but i think it's better if, if groups come with an idea of we're thinking of this and then i try and see if that will fit uh, that story will fit or sometimes the story isn't actually a, a, a racing car driver or a uh, an Antarctic explorer. It's actually the story of their history or someone in their club or, um, you know, some things that happened to them. And, and geez, like Ireland's full of full of those kind of local local stories and local heroes that uh, a team might work on that level. I was involved with, it, with a team there during, during 2020 and I, I, I certainly wouldn't have called a teaming at the time. Um, but there's probably aspects of that. Like we... We try to, to create an in, in, in identity with the part of the country we're from, mm. with like and 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 when we were in that kind of 2k and 5k radius situation that identify history about your area and history about the particular club you come from. 
um, and and stories about people from your locality and then can we transfer them into what we're trying to achieve as a group or as as individuals or whatever you know so um i, I think it's a good i, I think it's a, actually a really good idea um and and it's it's something that like i didn't i hadn't heard of shackleton ernest shackleton at all before this maybe that's shown my lack of awareness to engage with other things in life but um it is a really interesting story and it isn't your glamorous all comes together at the end story and it's them trials and tribulations trying to achieve something that is where where real learning comes from and if you can get if you can get people within teams and that's teams t-e-a-m-s <laughs> if you get people within teams looking at teams like that it can really it can really help develop them and when you kind of I suppose when you bring it back down to or we're trying to develop players, but we're also trying to develop people and the the the, the kind of the double messages that are there between both, it can be it can be massively beneficial, I'd say. Yeah. Surely, it's... Paul, you remember the Tom Crean Guinness ad. <laughs> I do, but sure, that was Tom Crean. That wasn't yeah. <laughs> it's it's actually it's a real shame of this because Tom Crean was someone who obviously I was really, really interested in. So uh when I was researching about uh, Shackleton, um I read uh, Alfred Lansing's endurance book and originally I was going to look at Shackleton's book, but I, I don't know if you picked up on this, if, if maybe, because I know it's in two parts. And in the first one, you get way more of the Shackleton is a, is a bit of a cowboy. Uh, like he's, he's, he's selling rights to stuff. He doesn't really have ownership to, and he's trying to raise money. Like there's definitely the, 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 the cute whore about him, like definitely. And he, um, I think that's something again that, that that's sort of interesting, I suppose, to look at. But um, yeah, I think we, the, the more you look into the stories, I think you can find things that. And for me, it's not finding someone who's perfect. It's actually finding someone who's kind of flawed in a way that we can actually understand. Because Paul, you mentioned there the idea of like developing people, and I know that's a uh, maybe people. It's a kind of a buzz thing in, in coaching as well. I also think that's a huge challenge. Now, it's a great it's a great privilege for us to be allowed to maybe to try and shape character. But I actually came to theming mainly because I was actually trying to look at aspects to develop character. I, I'd run a project the year before uh, that looked at masculinity uh, in rugby, uh, and I was trying to challenge aspects around masculinity. It was based off the back of the Belfast rape trial. Uh, and just for the damage that I had done, I suppose, to, uh, to rugby and rugby's character and the conversations I was having with people, I was very initially very, very defensive. And eventually I kind of went, well, you know, how true is some of the things that what, what was established in the case that were true? Uh, and I sort of thought, well, maybe we need to challenge this. So we conversation about emotional health, uh, sorry, mental health, emotional well-being, and we looked at gender dynamics in sports. So using uh, female role models in sport uh, alongside again male role models. So I'd I'd run that project, and actually theming was a way to capture all that together. Uh, so whenever I team and people come to me uh, in the professional uh, rugby game at intercounty level uh, in in, in uh, in the GAA and in, in basketball or whatever it is uh, in different sports they come to me they're looking for a performance edge and I'm kind of going like I know this can help you get a performance edge but I actually think you need to think a bit bigger about this like you can really shape your group your organization uh, if you think carefully about this and you can create moments that really resonate with people uh, and create memories and experiences that they can really really hold dear moving forward and and 
you might win some stuff along the way. But actually, I think the other stuff is maybe more is maybe more important. So I think that's interesting, Paul. You said that you know the lads looked into their kind of locality and to find out you know the stories about them. And that's what I mean by the sense of I think people are theming. They just don't call it theming. Like it's um, you know you're finding something that's unique to you and, and a way of capturing you know who these people are, or what these things mean, uh, and that can be really really powerful because it's it's about us. Like the cool thing about clubs and, and, and teams is that, and it's the reason I call my, my company Team Architecture, is that I think we're constantly designing and redesigning our group because we're different and they're different and the context is different. And we can only go to 2K from our house now and we haven't seen each other in months and we're looking at each other on a, on a Zoom call again. And when we come back to sport and when we, since we've come back to sport, it, you know, we're, we're different people and we're playing a different sport and we've maybe had a... a a rejuvenation as to why why we're doing this and to dig into the stories of the club but also ourselves i think that's a really, really powerful tool what you mentioned there about um we'll say the masculinity issue within sport as well something in the film that kind of worked against that so we'll say off on a ship going on a, in, in an adventure where you could possibly die and one of the scenes i really enjoyed was when they when they done a play in each other's company yeah. and it was a real uh, lowering of barriers and putting themselves out there in an environment that they're probably not used to doing um, and 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 showing another side to them and, and and i think that's that's really like that's a really powerful way of like a, a lot of sports have this idea of sports should be strong like rugby and, and Gaelic football and Horland and the people playing them should be strong but they should also be massively creative and the element of, of that I really liked about that play was go and be creative and do something that you're not recognised for you know and again kind of coming back to my own experience I would have done that with a team previously where we set them the the player is a target of doing a performance, a, a play performance. And um, we were away for a weekend and do a play of what the dressing room is like pre-match and half time and whatever. And it was very much designed to say break down barriers and to see who the creative people were, see who was willing to make a fool of themselves yeah, yeah. in front of the rest of the group. But how we really got them to engage and do that was the people they were making a fool of were the management team. So they were mimicking off the management team mm. and idiosyncrasies that, that we might have and things that they recognise us for. And their ability to, to play in it was, was really good. They had good crack, but it also managed to kind of allow a good connection between both groups as well. And like, I, I think like, like for teams working to, to try and, and get that creative element out um, because a lot of sport is, is, is kind of too structured now um, and just allowing people to feel safe in the environment that they can try things and do things and that's not going to fall asunder or whatever, you know? Absolutely. I think the, uh, 
the scene you're referring to. So that when the when the ship got stuck in the ice, um, they set up camp basically on the ship before before it was ultimately crushed and and then sank. And they call it the Ritz. So they completely changed the sort of dynamic of it. Like this isn't where we're trapped in the middle of nowhere and possibly not going to make it out. This is actually this is the Ritz. This is you know the the, the fancy the fanciest place you can be right now. Uh, and they had they had serious crack like it was one of actually one of the things they actually asked uh, when they were hiring people was that uh, there was pretty meticulous about you know their skills and what they're able to do but one of the questions Shackleton asked is that like can you sing like that was one of his one of his key things he's like oh that's cool like and, and when they were when they were also then getting onto the ice um, they were told okay you can only take you know, X amount of weight, you have to lose everything. So they were throwing money away. They were throwing everything they had away. But the guy who played the banjo, he's like, no, 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 bring the banjo because we'll definitely need that. Like, so I think that idea of that creativity and, and giving something like in that instance, the funny thing about that, 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 that where they're putting on this play and they're dressing up and they're, they're making fools themselves that uh, the hierarchy, uh, it, like Shackleton as the head of the hierarchy is flattened in that instance. Now, it's it's very clear on the ice and other occasions of who's in, who's in uh, who's in control and who's the boss and that needs to happen, but you don't always have to have that and there are times to lighten up and there are times to to drop the mask or to step down and allow the, the hierarchy to be flattened as you say to have the 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 lads take the piss out of the management team you know uh, and to be able to be seen to take that like that can really bring a group together. Yeah, do you know what that Shackleton. There, there was elements at different stages when there was no ambiguity that he's in charge mm. and I'm making the decision about what's going on here. But then there was other times and it was often in, at, at times of glory, like when they got to Elephant Island and he wanted the young fella who was really yeah. nearly... Blackberry, yeah, 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 exactly. They wanted him because he was the youngest to be the youngest. The tradition was the youngest is the first to set, set foot in the, uh, the island because yeah. no one's ever set foot in this island. And yeah, like, like it was great. Like, I, I found him to be a really good leader, even though at times he had really poor aspects too. Yeah. Um, but like, it, it, it was always, it was always about. I felt anyway it was about the cause and the cause was number one without a shadow of a doubt and everything we'll say around that was yes we have to do x and we have to do y but this is what we're striving for in the end you know yeah, and always, um, there was times where his leadership really came true remember that the, the the chippy was it chippy his name was yeah, Jimmy McNeish, the Scottish and, guy, yeah. And they fell up. He he was the, the cranky fella in Billy Elliot as well, wasn't he? he was yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's well, got a typecast, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, um, when they sort of had their falling out, um, Shackleton still needed them and still had to keep them on side. Yeah. And still gave him jobs to do and gave him that bit of delegated task somewhere he was still a leader I think that as any coach you're going to have your run-ins with players but you can't make it personal or you can't fall out completely mm. with them because you will need to get them back on board at some stage I thought he handled that very very well um, that's one thing I definitely took from the film His relationship with, with, with Chippy McNeish was particularly interesting because um, 
Chippy McNeish was, was constantly questioning him and Shackleton knew that like he was talking to the other guys saying oh, I just know what he's doing and you know they're explorers they don't have a clue what they're doing on the, on the sea and stuff and, yeah. and all that but ultimately uh, a few things stand out to be Chippy McNeish is the one who basically uh, covers over the lifeboat so it's worthy to be able to make the journey so without Chippy McNeish they couldn't have made it from Elephant Island to South Georgia. Now that's 800 miles across the most dangerous stretch of, of, of the sea, like on the entire, on the entire planet. So without Chippy McNeish, they wouldn't have got there, but also he brought Chippy McNeish with him because he knew if he left Chippy McNeish on Elephant Island, Chippy McNeish would have, would have basically, there would have been a mutiny and like, he would have like in not infected, but he would have like influenced other yeah. people in an environment where they were going to be like they ended up being on elephant island waiting for shackleton and tom crean and chip and the other lads to come back for like five months or six months so he was very very careful about positions like like his second command was frank wilde and like frank wilde again he he he, he tells frank wilde you know what's happening direct and kind of dismisses him and he has to take down worsley who's the captain uh, as well yeah. of the ship uh but he, he, he also, the other thing about him is that he, he listens. He listens to everyone and then he makes a decision. And that, that's something that can be really difficult to do because he was making decisions. Ultimately, uh, you know, Paul, as you said, he knew his purpose. His purpose was, was survival. I'm getting everyone home. Everyone is, is staying alive. That's on me. And that pressure was really, really intense. But as you said, he knew when he needed people. And he also knew when to maybe sweeten people up, like he was bringing them tea in the tents and stuff like that. Um, he also, again, <laughs> there was the bit where uh, he they were drawing straws for who was going to gonna get um, who was going to get sleeping bags. And he's like, "Oh look, I got the shortest straw," and pulled it straight away. And with his gloves, when they were rowing and the guy's hands are freezing, he's like, "If you don't take the gloves, I'm throwing them in the sea." So mm. he was uh, fairly forthright, uh, but he always, again, was very aware of the fact that. Geez, like I have to fight for these guys, but geez, I have to fight them sometimes as well. Yeah, and like even even the like he wasn't so strict on rules in terms of they could only bring their two kg worth of um, equipment with them, and one fella <laughs> took some less of food, and someone was complaining about. It. He said, "Well, you should have done that yourself." So he was just, you know, he was he didn't want to punish them, but he still had that line there. So he was um, he was good. I thought he was good. If he was in this, like on a, if it was my football coach or football manager, I would have liked. Like that. There, there was that bit so that's order lees so order lees was a was a real winger and he kind of got the like of all the people in the group uh order lees was he was in charge of the stores uh so the stocks yeah. and the ship and he was meticulous about like he was um he was hoarding stuff at the start before he to take so he's the one who complains going hang on you, you said he couldn't take whatever and order lees is a bit of a winger and we know there's people on teams who are like that who sometimes you know are a bit like you know, sucking the life out of the place and they're like, oh, Jesus. But the other thing about Orderlees is that um, he's the one who tries to keep Blackbird's feet um, because underneath the, on the blankets when they get into Elephant Island, Blackbird is like, has frostbite. And so underneath the blanket, they assume they're like, oh, he's probably, he's probably snuck some food on. He's not, he's not sharing it. And then they lift up the blankets and go, actually, no, he was keeping Orderlees feet against his stomach to try and keep them warm. Uh, so, you know, so again, uh, so there'd be some circulation. So I think that also shows you that actually don't judge everyone just because they've always been, you know, X doesn't mean they'll always do that. People can surprise you if you give them a chance and you believe in them. 
Yeah, the, the other thing I liked was was the way that he was actually able to to fundraise and stuff like that, you know, and it's it's something we'd see, like there'd be one inter-county manager in Ireland would be very uh, well known for his ability to give resources around. And I suppose like for, for managers at club level and stuff like that, the ability to actually do that is important, you know, and it's something that he was, he excelled at. Like he obviously had the gift of the gab a small bit as well, yeah. but, but like the, it is, it's an important factor. Like that if teams need resources, being able to identify where to get them and how to get them is an important factor, which, which I thought that's something that could really transfer over to, to coaching um, and management of teams and stuff like that. It's yeah, it's huge. Um, and he was very, he was very, very good at it. He was a real, like he was a salesman and he knew how to sell himself. And even in the early first episode where he's trying to raise funds and he's, like he was involved for the race for the pole uh, with uh, it was Lord Falcon Scott, uh, the British uh, British guy, and uh, Roald Amundsen, uh, the Norwegian who ultimately wins. So he was on earlier expeditions, and when he realised, he's like, "Hang on, now that the pole has been reached, I can't, I can't sell my stories of oh, I was out in Antarctica. No one's really going to be that interested." So he had to find something new. So he. he you know, in some ways, he he was a storyteller, wasn't he? He was a you know he was teaming to a certain extent. He was looking for for ways to sell it to people and to get people to support him. And um, there was a there was a charisma to him uh, that 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 men that the men absolutely loved and the public loved, uh, even though he was massively in debt and he was uh, you know trying to pay off from previous trips on this trip. And you know uh, there was just something very I suppose likable about him. Yeah, I like I like the scene where where he went to the, the the elder lady to try and get money off her, and she'd already decided before he'd started talking that she was going funding them, but she let him she let him yeah. belt away, and then like it it was it, it was very much I I thought it was going poorly the the sales pitch, but she'd obviously had her her decision made well in advance. Yeah. She sent her sent him over to the fruit bowl. <laughs> Was was it her or his wife came up with a, a brilliant, brilliant line where they go, "Great courage is to return to a place you suffered so much." Or it was her? I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant line, and it's like it like resonates so much with like football teams or hurling teams, or whatever. It's teams that go to the well so often and keep on losing, like you say, like the Mayo teams, for example, like the mm. pain they have for losing all these Ar- all Ireland's, but like the courage they have, and other teams come back year after year. Um, that's like when I heard that line straight away, it just clicked to me like that at all. I thought it was yeah, brilliant. It, it was excellent, and we're going to test you as an English teacher now, David. <laughs> um, because it was a line that was attributed to someone, and I can't think of who it was off the top of my head. You know, uh, Robert Browning, is it? Is this the for sudden the worst, yes. the best to the brave? Yes, yeah, incredible. So, Shackleton was Browning was his favorite poet, and when he and that's a really, really interesting point because he makes that point when basically they've had to. So basically the ship has come into the, the Weddell Sea. It's got trapped in the ice. They're stuck there for months. They have to decamp because the ship's being crushed and they're living on the ice, flowing, like floating along, hoping to, to use the boats, the, the lifeboats, which they managed to get off. And they decide that they're going to try and push the boats across the ice. Um, and they say, right, we need to, everyone needs to make a sacrifice. And he makes this grand gesture because he leaves the Bible that the Queen had given him, um, 
uh, George the uh, George the fourth's wife, I think it would have been. Um, give yeah, that had given him, and he goes right. I'm putting this in the ice. I'm throw, he threw his money down, and then he quoted Robert Browning. And for me, it was the idea of grand gestures. Now, if you do too many grand gestures, they lose their effect. But both he had the idea of timing of this is the moment to say like like royalty has given me this Bible and I'm leaving it, and here's throwing my money down. And then he comes up with the Browning line for sudden, the worst turns the best to the brave. Like it, it's a, it's a, it, it's a, a call to arms, isn't it? Like this is the very moment. I know this is our lowest point, but actually if we can find something now, this will be the thing we'll talk about. And here we are, you know, over hundred years later talking about, you know, those lads uh, in the Antarctic. Things, David, that you thought that you liked about, about Shackleton and his leadership style. Um, I thought it was like I thought there was a few there was a few other good lines and I thought his relationship with uh, Frank Hurley the Aussie photographer was an interesting one as well yeah. um, because if, if he if he okay so we talked about uh, briefly uh, his relationship with Order Lees who's the kind of whinger uh, we talked about his confrontation with Chippy who tries to mutiny um, and Shackleton keeps him close um, but his relationship with Frank Hurley as well, like Frank Hurley was kind of stood up to Shackleton and Shackleton actually, um, he, he was the one that he said, oh, listen, I want you to come on the, across the ice at me. So when they originally thought that they'd still be able to, to land and then go to the South Pole, he's like, you're the man I want, I want to come with me. Like he'd sort of earned his trust. And also like Hurley also stands up to him. Um, he stands up to him with the, like he's willing to walk away because Shackleton says, oh, I sold the rights for your, for your photographs. And he's like, well, hang on, I'm like I'm the one taking them. So he was willing to leave over that. And eventually Shackleton goes, right, right, come on, come on. Right, fair enough, uh, I'll, I'll let you have them. Uh, and then he also then has to negotiate with them when Hurley wants to go back to the ship to get the, uh, to get the, the, the pictures. And he makes the good point, like, if, if we survive, like, our words will mean nothing. These pictures are actually going to be these are going to be the things that uh, that really bring our story to life. And that's important. Um, and Shackleton eventually and him going through the, the pictures and the images, uh, I thought was an interesting scene. But um, those images and actually it's interesting. There's a book uh, which was given actually a, a friend of mine uh, gave to me because uh, he knew I was doing the, the, the Shackleton theme, gave me a book of, of Hurley's pictures and they're incredible. And actually in the in the actual documentary, they recreate a lot of those. And one of those is the is the three lads scrubbing the decks. So you've got, um, I think it's it's Macklin, who's the surgeon. There's a biologist and there's another, I'm trying to think of the other guy, the other guy was, but he, he wasn't like a, he wasn't a ship hand. He wasn't like a sailor. So when Shackleton came in and said, right, these these, de these decks need scrubbing, the lads go, cool, do you want us to get out of here? And he's like, no, I want you to do it. <laughs> so like telling them what to do. And that was a line, we, we use that image uh, and they recreate that really, really well in the film. But that was a line I used with the with, with the with the with the the group I was coaching, where we said we told them that story about it was actually three lads who shouldn't necessarily be doing it, but you know they needed to. So the idea today is that we're going to do our job. So whatever is needed from you, that's what you need to do. Do your job. So digging into that a little bit more, I suppose, uh, was uh, I suppose resonated and worked worked with us. I thought um, the way he put his team together um, was excellent and everybody knew their roles and i think any management team have to choose wisely who they want to come on board as the selectors or coaches or whatever it is psychologists whatever it is and 
everybody should know what's expected from them. And I thought that was, I thought that came across very, very well in the film myself. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Mossy. I thought we kind of, we say that 15 or 20 minute period in the first episode where they were, where he was getting the people together. And it was all different types of people coming and the different skill sets. But, but a very, and there seemed to be no logic to why he chose one person over another. But there very much was because he his criteria for what was needed was based on his previous expedition. Mm. And like, I don't know if there was too many people there who had kids at home, possibly barring himself. And it was very much are these people going to fit into the culture or, and are they going to give energy? And like even the last two people who came and the fella who hid in the wardrobe, the Welsh fella and the Canadian fella, like it was, it was just an eclectic mix of people, but they all fed into it. And, and you see that when you get to that, that scene with the, with the play and then when they're playing the, the football match on the ice and just everything that, like, I, I don't know what the specific criteria was, but there was definitely a criteria that everyone needed to have. It was it was interesting. So when he hires Worsley, who's the captain, the ship captain, and Worsley's actually, Worsley was someone he, he brought to Elephant Island, sorry, from Elephant Island to South Georgia because he was the best navigator. So while Worsley, Worsley actually weirdly claims that he had a dream, he had a dream that an iceberg was flowing down, is it Burlington Street in London? Yeah, and, and then he, he went to Burlington Street, which is where the exhibition. So he had this kind of divine moment of sort of he's like, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was like you were advertising for this. And he just came in and he's kind of rambling. And uh, while he's rambling, they just go, uh, when's the sun going to set? And then straight away he goes uh, over there at uh, 5.15 and then continues talking. So like he was a bit he was a bit strange. And also as a captain, as we know from the journey from the UK to Buenos Aires, uh, Worsley was like um, they they absolutely just ran rings around him as a crew so he was an excellent navigator but he wasn't actually a good leader of men so when Shackleton came in he goes listen you're still going to be skipper you're still going to be captain but I'm running things here so like don't worry I'll control that you do what you're, you're good at which is navigation and without without Worsley they never would have made it to South Georgia because it was so stormy they only got a couple of glimpses of light uh, of the sun uh, with, with, with the storms. And Worsley was able to figure out the direction they were going off that. And they were able to manage to hit that. Like after, I think it's 12 days at sea across 800 miles. Like it was a crazy kind of event how they managed. And um, you are right, like selecting people, thinking about those conditions as to what they're going to experience. Now, obviously what he experienced before was nothing on what they ended up experiencing. Like the gas thing is that, and we use this with with, with, the, with the the rugby team was that like it, everything was impossible. Like everything they did was just like oh, they're not going to survive this. So when they get to Elephant Island and they survived on the ice for for like over a, a, a year uh, at that stage, and then they get to Elephant Island, they then need to go eight hundred miles to uh, South Georgia, and they did that. And then when they land in South Georgia, they need to cross South Georgia. <laughs> All right now. Um, more people have set foot in the moon than have crossed South Georgia on foot. That's just to give you a sense of the difficulty of the terrain you're talking about. Like you're climbing over mountains, having not eaten properly or just eaten seals, uh, you know, 
when it's available uh, in the last maybe 18 months. And then you have to complete this journey with Tom Crean. Um, so all the things were kind of incredible. And he did think carefully about who he selected. And, you know, it, it's Cody Royal uh, who talks about it in the tough stuff and talks about a lot is that actually we, we often talk about shaping people's character within our group, but actually we probably could test that earlier, couldn't we, in the recruitment uh, process when people are coming in you know, as to who we accept it. Now, listen, you know, if you're a local community club, you don't have the choice of saying, you know, you're not part of this, but you can demand certain expectations or you can you can show people the standard and say, listen, you got to hit this. Uh, this is what we expect of you. Now, we don't expect you to hit it when you come straight in, but we'll expect you to hit it, you know, fairly shortly afterwards. So thinking carefully about how your team's going to interact and gel, I think is important. Yeah, you know, I actually, I have a, a note down here about Cody Royal as well, and he, he had a really good thread on Twitter there um, a couple of weeks ago when he was actually on the Coaching Bubble podcast as well um, recently. One of the one of the things uh, Cody Royal kind of talked about was the difficulty for the leaders and coaches and we'll say what they suffer underneath. But the reason I have it noted down is and. Shackleton and whatever behaviors he had in, in England wasn't always great for his family, but his family were a huge support to him in, yeah. in, in allowing him to go off, you know. And I suppose that's something that's that's oftentimes forgotten about for coaches because of obviously you're a teacher and that's your primary day job, and you probably spend possibly as many hours coaching subsequent to that. Um, and it's it, it it's it's a challenge, and it's something that's oftentimes forgotten for coaches. The importance of um, a really good family. It can be lonely, can't it? It can be it can be difficult at times, especially if you're the, I suppose, a head coach. And I know that's something that, that, that Cody touched on a lot. Is that you know in his book, I think the first thing is that everyone thinks you're an idiot, and think of Chippy questioning him down, you know, with the other the other ship hands going like this lad just knows he's at, he's going to get us killed. Like there's always people questioning what you're doing. Uh, and when you step up from an assistant role into that, you really feel that. So geez, yeah, it can be tough. It can be lonely. And Shackleton certainly felt that. Um, Frank Wilde was a huge support to him. And uh, the story of Frank Wilde is quite interesting. So um, when they, when they make it back to, when they make it back to uh, England, a lot of the lads actually in 1916, well, the, one of the first questions Shackleton asked when they, they reached uh, Griffith in, in, in South Georgia was, oh, who won the war? And they didn't realize that, like, they were leaving the UK at the time the war, the first war was starting, and they thought it was over. And, they, like, a lot of guys when they got back to England signed up, and a lot of those guys in the endurance very sadly died, um, died in Europe, um, signing up for, you know, for, for, for the war. Um, but Shackleton's own story is that, having promised his wife that we could all think of coaches again who said like I swear this is my last season I'm only going to coach them or I'm only helping out I'm just a selector or whatever it might be and you're roped in like he promised his wife he wouldn't go back and he, he went back uh, in 1921 uh, to on another expedition he was going back to the Antarctic because it was his passion because it was um, it was something that excited him like the place just had this hold on and I think we can all think of people who you know the hours they put in and the experience they have and it's hard to explain and, and and i suppose the best support you have are the families and the loved ones and the friends around you who see that you know they see how animated you get when you talk about it or when you're you're you're, work, you're toiling away in it and how much it means to you but 
he in 1921 uh he actually he doesn't manage to leave south georgia he, he he dies in south georgia and his wife actually asked for him to be buried out there because you know it was the closest he could get i suppose get to the antarctic and years later frank wilde who was his right hand man and who was actually on that expedition with him again had gone decided to go back out with him as a lot of the other lads in the endurance expedition did they went they went back with shackleton to the, like you could just think of the last place you want to go mm. but they did they signed up to uh to go out with him and Frank Wilde, uh, who died in South Africa, I think in the 60s, uh, his ashes were brought there about 10 years ago out to be buried next to Shackleton. Um, so, yeah, there's the the whaling station in Griffith in, in South Georgia. There's a small chapel and a very, very small graveyard full of whalers and, and Norwegian uh, Norwegian guys out there. And then there's two very, very famous graves, Shackleton's. And right next to him is right-hand man is Frank Wilde. Very good. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, like as I said to you, Dave. Like it's a, uh, I, I, like I wouldn't. I've heard the name. I wouldn't have known what what Shackleton had done really. But like, when you when you see the the film there, like uh, as you said, they did a lot of things that were impossible that they got through. You know, um, and resilience and stuff like that. Like it's, uh, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, check it out. I know you told us go go straight to part two if we were caught for time. But mm. uh, like I think part one really does actually sort of uh, line up a lot of things that, that occur, you know? Um, yeah. So it's de definitely definitely a must-watch for anyone interested in a bit of history and stuff like that. And like as I said, the Irish influence on it, like he, he was born in Ireland. Um, mm. and Tom, Tom Crean was was essentially one of his his main main men on the expedition as well. That, as Massey said, every every person in Ireland knows from the Guinness ads. Um, yeah. So there's a small, a small link there with it as well, you know? So yeah. Um, it the story of uh, story of Tom Crean is is one that I was I was quite interested in and I, I was quick to highlight. Uh, but it, like Tom Crean is someone who Shackleton keeps like he brought Tom Crean on the journey from Elephant Island to South Georgia because he knew that Tom Crean would lose it if he to stay. Tom Crean was someone who had to be doing something. And he'd do anything Shackleton told him. Like, and we have those those loyal people, don't we, uh, in our organization who like literally do anything for you. But you need to keep them moving because if if they stand still, they're like suddenly very very bored and uh, could become a bit uh, cantankerous. So he was an interesting one. And I, I've I've made a there's a few boys in 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 the club who are mad keen to make a trip down to the, the South Pole pub uh, in Tom Crean's honor and to enjoy if it's possible a bottle of shackleton whiskey uh which is not particularly good stuff i can i can vouch for <laughs> we uh we presented a bottle of it uh to one of the lads uh, uh his it was his birthday um in february 2020 he was he, it was he was 30 and we were playing a match and it was in a storm and his birthday we presented him a bottle of shackleton whiskey larry an absolute legend of the club and we won the game and it was in a storm and everyone's soaked and covered in, uh, in mud and stuff and we later realized that actually it's Shackleton's birthday as well. So him and Shackleton <laughs> shared, yeah. shared a birthday and we were drinking this whiskey. And that's a moment that I think as a group we'll always, uh, we'll always have. And the lads always reference like that was a lightning bolt moment for us where it was like, Jesus, this all sort of fell into place pretty well here uh, in this moment, which is pretty exciting. Another thing, another thing there about the, the Tom Crane element of it. So I like the fact that Tom Crane was on you'll say, the rival expedition previous to yeah. the Shackleton one. Yeah. And it was very much of, he, he Tom Crean has achieved what we're looking to, to achieve, but also, like, the typical thing of 
and we kind of mentioned it earlier on about the differences between clubs and um, going, oh, geez, that person is from such a club or such a county or such a team that they're not for us. But when he arrived in, he was very much completely on board and was a loyal a loyal servant, for want of a, a better expression, you know, and it, it was interesting. And his his accent was good as well, which is good for for a, a television <laughs> or, or movie show. So you can't complain with that either. Dead right, dead right. Excellent. Um, look, Dave, where can people find your stuff? So um, I have a I have a I have a website. Uh, www.thegreatwhitesharky.com where I've written up uh, my work on Shackleton and I've written up more extensively my work on uh, Apollo and I'm going to post my stuff on Senna when I get a chance and there's a framework that looks at theming uh, and my own company then Team Architecture uh, is uh, www.team-architecture.com and I'm as I said I'm, I'm working with some some uh, professional teams and I'm coaching and I'm uh, consulting uh, some others about how they might use theming or even just messaging, I suppose, uh, key, key uh, ideas or, or ways that they use language, because I suppose as an English teacher that this kind of crossover a, a lot of ways there. Uh, and then I suppose I'm pretty active on Twitter at, uh, well, for team architecture at Shark Teams or at uh, Teaching Sharks. So either of those will work. Excellent. David, thanks very much for your time. No worries. Thanks a million, lads. Thank really you, David. Enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you, David. That's brilliant. Thank yes. you. We are into season five now, so thanks to everyone who has listened so far. We would be grateful if you would take the time to give us a retweet on Twitter or just share it with your friends. It would also be great if you give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean a lot to us, and we really appreciate it. Hope you all had a great week, and we will talk to you next Tuesday when we are talking to Brian Boyle, and we are watching when the game stands tall. See you next week, everybody. <laughs>